0: How's everyone? Everyone good today? Yeah. You know, I, I just can't believe that was last week. Right? It's like that was only last week we had that conference, and it was so amazing, and we're getting such great reports from all of you, and, and uh, just how God has worked in your life, God's spoken to you, what God's done, and that's just so good. You know, I was just thinking about, I love people, especially when they're quirky. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I mean, people are just totally strange. You know God like belly laughs every once in a while when he looks out over creation and he sees like 8 billion of us doing all of our goofy stuff, getting hurt, getting offended, laughing when we're not supposed to. You know, I mean, just don't you just love people? You know, and I was sitting there during worship and I was just thinking, I love our, our crazy worshipers up here, you know. And, and I was thinking how boring church would be. If we didn't have people up here jumping, clapping, raising their hands, singing, then I'll be going like, yeah, let's sing another one. I love people. People are made to be together. I'm going to talk today about proximity. And that's kind of a fancy word to say when we come together in community and we bring all that we have to one another, there's something very, very special that happens. There's something that happens when I listen to you, really listen to you, and I hear you, and you know that I hear you. Just that alone is powerful. Because how many conversations have you ever been in where you're not present? They're talking. You know they're probably saying something. You're not really sure what it is. And you're nodding like you don't even know what you're giving yes to. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And then all of a sudden they'll say something and it'll snap you into gear and you'll go, what, what did you say? And you caught it because you became present in that moment. And when we're present with one another, it is so powerful, so meaningful, so fulfilling to everyone involved. And I had this thought when I began to think about this message, and it is this, are you present In the presence of God? Are you present in the presence of God? So let me just give you just a a quick diagram to kind of illustrate something of this truth. Let's think about the presence of God. And we know that God is not limited to any place because He is everywhere all the time. That's one of His attributes, that's what makes Him God. So he is present all the time everywhere, but his presence is only really felt or understood when we are present in his presence. So let's think about that. Am I present in the presence of God? Because in his presence, the Bible says there is fullness of joy. You lack joy. Enter into the presence. Outside of the presence, I don't have joy. I might have happiness. I might function. But I don't have joy. Jesus said, my joy do I give unto you, not as the world gives, but my joy do I give unto you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. The Bible says that in his presence there is fullness of joy. The Bible says in Exodus 16 that in his presence there is rest. That is freedom from anxiety, worry, struggle, difficulty. doesn't mean problems go away. If you live a life without problems, without anxiety, and all is going well, please stay after and help me because you must have some answer I don't have. Part of the human struggle is that we struggle. But part of the solution to the human struggle is other strugglers. Because there's something that happens when I somehow fulfill that royal law of love and I help shoulder your burden. And I go, oh, wow, thank you. I didn't think I could make it through that, but you helped me through that moment because of proximity. Proximity. Because you were present in that moment. There are times where my wife and I are talking, and I'm seriously not present. And I seriously know it. And after she slaps me for Jesus, I'm better. Amen? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. What did did I just say? And I try to make up the best line I can think of that kind of might align with her nature. And she goes, you weren't listening. It's only happened once a day. Let me ask you something. How many times has God been present and you weren't present? He was speaking. He was giving you answers, but you weren't listening because you were distracted. I I, want to say more than probably I could imagine, but I I don't want to live like that. I want to live in the presence. So, you know, many of you know I'm kind of a historian by nature and by training, and so those things interest me. And I was reading in a book uh, called The Triumph of the City, and it really kind of follows what happened with great cities and movements of people and, and what we could learn from that and how, what came out of that. And this, uh, this quote from uh, the book by Edward Glaser Uh, just caught my attention. It said, in in 6th century Athens. So now you're going back to 6th century Athens where all this marvelous uh, architectural art philosophy was rising up. And it says, artists and scholars from all over the Mediterranean world converged in a single spot. That gave them proximity and a freedom to share ideas one smart person met another and it sparked a new idea. And when I read that, I thought, isn't that what we're supposed to be like in, in life and in, in community and in church where we come together and something in you sparks something in me? Sometimes it's just comfort and sometimes it's a new idea. Sometimes it's mercy instead of judgment. I mean, ha- I mean, how many of you want justice? Only when it's on someone else, Amen? Right? you ever been pulled over by by an officer of the law and they somehow give you uh, the go-ahead? Hey, you know what? Slow down. Take it easy. Now, in that moment, have you ever been tempted to say, you know, it's not fair? (laughs) Not fair. I want justice. I want a ticket. Put a couple extra miles on it because I was really going faster than you think I was. Nobody would ever do that. You don't want justice. What do you want? Let's try it again. What do you want? When you talk to someone else, do you want, do you give them justice or do you give them mercy? Ouch. Why did you have to say that? I don't know about you, but I always want mercy, but I'm loving to deal out some justice. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, you did, whoa, you did that. I can't believe it. I only did that eight times. You did it ten. Ten you got to be kidding me. How about this? You're driving down the road. You're going five over because that's the acceptable limit to break the law. Am I wrong? You're looking around like, is there any police in here? Okay, and then somebody, you're going, so you're going 70. Somebody flies by you at 85. What's your first thought, mercy or justice? Justice, I hope he gets a ticket. Then if you happen to have the good fortune of seeing him pulled over as you drive by, what do you do? Uh-huh. Yep. They needed it. Danger on the highway. Can't believe people would drive like that. I would have called myself, but I was too, too busy talking on my phone and texting. In proximity, great things happen. I was reading about clusters of innovation. It's kind of a new term that's really kind of grown out of our world and the concept of 6th century Athens. And let me just give you the definition. Cluster of of innovation are global economic hotspots where new technologies germinate at an astounding rate and where pools of capital expertise and talent foster the development of new industries in new ways of doing business. You go, oh, that's cool. So let me show you a picture of one. How about Silicon Valley? Have you heard of it? Okay, look at this map. Now, while you can't see all the, the names of all the companies there, it's pretty amazing because it is just literally crammed full of great companies, innovative techni- technology, uh, capital, talent pools, everything else, and they've all converged. This is, what, this is what Edward Glazer was talking about. There's a convergence coming here. We wouldn't have to go very far from there, and we could find a totally different industry called the wine industry up in Napa, and and for some reason, Napa, because of a combination of what's there in terms of the soil and the climate, but also those people who had a vision to do something. And we could go around the world. We could could jump over to the East Coast, and we could find ourselves in a place called Wall Street, and we could find there an economic convergence where there are clusters of companies who are determined to somehow take a dollar and make more dollars out of that dollar. We could go to different cities. We could find those cities that are just somehow they're experts in the field of medicine. It's kind of amazing. If you go down to Houston, just the medical area alone where all the hospitals are is larger than the state of New Jersey, a convergence. But as I thought about that, I began to think about another convergence, another cluster, and that is the cluster of influence, meaning you. Do you ever think of yourself as being a cluster of innovation and a creativity and and of the Holy Spirit and of something that God is doing? God is bringing us together for a reason. Do you realize this is like like a treasure chest of people? You don't even know who you're sitting next to who might be able to help you or encourage you or give you a job or, or provide a technology or a new thought or anything else. They're just everywhere right here in this room. The Bible says that when, when we come together, just, if, just two of us come together in this proximity, that God has a special presence there. He says in Matthew 18, when two or more of you are gathered, I am there in your midst. Well, are you not with me apart from that other person? Yes, but there's something that puts this on a new level when we come together. Because all of a sudden, wow, we, are, we can share the presence together. We're in community, and, you know, there's, there's so much resources. You know, I, have, maybe you have one, but if, if you haven't had one, have you ever been tempted to rent a storage unit? Raise your hand. I've either been tempted or I have one, right? And because your mind goes, I've got so much cool stuff that I'm willing to pay someone to keep it for me. Now, Now, think about the logic of this, right? I don't want it. I don't want to look at it, and I don't have room for it, but I'm willing to give you money if you will. They even have whole shows where people just get so tired of their stuff and paying rent on it, they leave. And then they have these things called storage wars or whatever they are, and you can go in there and you, you bid and you say, I'll give $20,000 for that storage unit. I don't know what's in it, but I'm willing to throw the dice. And they come in and they make it real dramatic. You know, they got the big, big jaws of life or whatever those things. (coughs) Open the door up. They're going through boxes. And you just got to love the ones where they find nothing. You know, you go like, it was a stupid idea. Why did you want someone's junk? They walked away. Why would you want someone's stuff? But the idea is every once in a while they'll find something. That's what motivates them because they break into the storage unit and all of a sudden they find treasures beyond measure. And they go, it was all worth it, and they're motivated now for the next show to do it all over again, right? All over again. Did you ever think that your life is like a storage unit? And you've put away all these treasures that that could bless others, that could take you to a new level that could make society better, but you've locked it away. And somewhere along the way, you need to take and you need to break off the lock and you need to say, I need to open up my proximity and my, my talents and my gifts to people all around me. When I was growing up, there was a lady that lived down the street. Her name was Betty Bergman. And Betty Bergman was a chain smoker. I don't know if you know what a chain smoker is, but it meant the cigarette never left her fingers. I don't know how she could do it. She could actually take a lit one and one that was gone, I mean, one that was on and one that was getting started in the same finger. And it and it, she just, it was, she was skillful. She could blow rings. She could do cool stuff. I'm like in fifth grade, right? And Betty Bergman, she'd come over. She wanted to see me, you know. She's got the cigarette. And she's, hi, Betty. How are you doing? Great to see you, you know. Oh, you're so cute. Give me a kiss. And I'm kissing this ashtray thing. And I'm going, this is just, I don't know what's going on here, Betty. But anyway, but um but Betty, but l- let me just side note that, but Betty Bergman, I was, no, I'm in fifth grade. Betty Bergman had a 17-year-old daughter that was the most gorgeous woman on planet Earth. And I found out that she was a math tutor, and my math grades went down immediately. <laughs> hey, come on, you know what I'm talking about? And so I said, Mom, I think I need a math tutor. And I said, I heard Betty's uh, you know, daughter, oh, we, we can do that, yeah. And I didn't ever learn. My math kept going down. All I did was stare at her and go like I don't know. this world, I don't even know if she was beautiful. But for to fifth graders, a lot of women are beautiful. I just want you to know that right now, right? Now, now, I married a much more beautiful woman than Betty's daughter. I did good, huh? Okay. All right. Just check it in. Got to get a pulse going there every once in a while. So Betty called my mom one day, and she said to my mom, I have emphysema. And the doctor said, I need to quit smoking, which is near to impossible, but I also need to do something to take my mind off of smoking. And he suggested I take art classes down at the YMCA. Would you go with me? Now, what you don't know about my mom was my mom married at 19, and she married after one semester of, of college where she got a full ride scholarship in piano and vocal. My mother never had a piano one day of her life. I'd only hear her sing occasionally. And when I would ask her about the singing and the piano, she said, oh, I'm not that interested in it. I've got, I've got too much going on in my life. In reality, she had nothing going on in her life. But then when, when she went with Betty to take the art classes, after two classes, the art teacher said, I can't teach you anything. You're already too good. Here was this treasure of artistic ability in my mother in oil and canvas that she didn't even know she had. And it found expression, and, and, and some of you have probably seen those pictures, but my mother, we, our, our house is filled with paintings that my mother did and started painting at 50. And it was such a, an extension of who she was that uh, she wouldn't sell them. She would occasionally give one away but it was because it was just who she was and people were thrilled with what she did and i and i just can't help but believe with inside of every one of you here today there is a painting that needs to be painted. There is a song that needs to be sung. There is a, an innovation that needs to be created. There is a copyright ready and waiting. There, there, there is a patent that's, that's resident inside of you, and you, you look at and you say, well, who am I? And I don't have that. But remember, you were created by the hand of God to do something unique and special, not like everyone else. What would happen if that got loose? Here's the first truth I want you to grab hold of is that God clusters people together to achieve great things. We're clustered together. We're made to be together. We're made to listen and to learn and to grow and to help one another. That's what it means to be in community, isn't it? That's all, that makes it so powerful. Let me, let me take you to a scripture and kind of illustrate this with a parable that typically doesn't go along with what I'm talking about, but I think you'll make the connection. It's Matthew chapter 25. It's a parable of the talents. You kind of know the story. There's a, a guy who's leaving, and he gives one of his uh, servants, he gives him five, another two, and another one. So let's read the text. For the kingdom of heaven is like. So he wants you to know, we're going to tell you an earthly story, but it's, it's how the kingdom of God operates, it's how this spiritual world that we, we want to be involved in so deeply, it's how it operates. So it's not foreign from what we understand on in the natural realm. He said he's traveling to a far country. He called his own servants and delivered his goods to them, and to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Now when I read stuff like that, I always have more questions. I think, well, did he only have three servants? Why these three? What did he see in the one that got five, the one that got two, and the one that got one? What did he see there? And did he really intend for them to operate independently of one another, or did he have a bigger vision for his servants than we imagine from the story? Did he want them to cluster together? And instead of one getting five more and one getting uh Five more and one getting one more and one getting two more, did he want to bring them together to say, if I could get you guys to cooperate, if I could get you to be of one heart and one mind, maybe the return would not be 16 but 600. Because you see, what I see in you is independence. I see in you something that just wants to not ask for help and not wants to give help or receive help. But I have a bigger vision for you because, remember, this is not about earthly profit and loss. This is about the kingdom of heaven. You already made it clear, right? Right? Good. That helps me. That way it keeps you awake, keeps me going, gives me time to think of what I'm going to say next. Okay. Got it? That helps too. Okay. Now, so, so what happens here is they've all got these talents. Now, talents are symbols of abilities that God has planted in you. I don't know what's in you. You may not know what's in you. You may not know what it takes to bring it out in you. You don't know someone. You could be in a conversation and you're tuned out, right? They're just, jaws are just flapping. You don't even know what the guy's saying. Just flapping away. I don't know. And then all of a sudden he says something. The Spirit of God puts that in your mind and you begin to go, wait a minute. I just had an idea And a new company's birth. A new family dynamic is created. A new invention comes forth, a song, a painting, whatever It comes forth from that. But you see, we are responsible for the potential that is stored within us. You are responsible. You, 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 yeah, me, I'm responsible. But guess what? I'm also responsible to help you find what you're responsible for. Right? I am. We're, we're, hey, you may not like all these people in this room, but guess what? You're going to spend a lot of time with them if you know Jesus. We're talking eternity. Might as well just get used to them. All right, why don't you look at your neighbor? So I'm going to get used to you. Just go ahead and say it. People. <laughs> one guy goes, No, I'm not ever going to get used to <laughs> it. People are necessary for you to reach your potential. I cannot be the best I can be without you. You cannot be the best you can be without people in this room. That should be really encouraging. You know, um, about a year and a half ago, we had a a women's conference here, and Tammy brought in Lisa Brevere. And Lisa spoke, and we got to interact with her a lot. And I said, I'd love to have John come and speak. And she said, well, just ask him. You know, here's his number. And so I reached out to John, and then John came last October and spoke here, and he tagged along with him a guy named Phil. And I didn't know Phil, but Phil was on his board. And I got to know Phil and, and uh, really like Phil. And then all of a sudden I I'm, I'm started a series on Increase this last January. And he called me up from, uh, from the USC game and he said, uh, hey, how can you do a series on Increase without Dr. Increase? And I started laughing. I go, what's a Dr. Increase? I don't even know what you're talking about. And he began to tell me about Bob Harrison. And so I said, well, let's have Dr. Increase come. I'm curious. So Dr. Increase comes. He speaks. And I go, I love this guy. And this guy's just already kind of changed a lot of mindsets for me. And he looked at me and he goes, would you speak at my conference in March? This is this last March. Would you speak at my conference in March in Maui? Now, you don't even have to pray about that. Are you with me? There's some things you pray about, some things you just go, I don't even know what it's for. I'm in. I could have been going to, you know, to the, to the square wheel convention. I don't know what I'm going to, but I'm going to Maui. Now, if he just said, you know, I've got a conference coming up in uh, January in, uh, in Iowa. Now I'm going to pray. Some things the Lord just gives you the straight, shut, you know what to do kind of thing. So anyway, um, so he comes and then I go to Maui and then I start to meet all these other people and I begin to realize How much of our of our destiny, our happiness and our future and all these other great things that are involved in our life are tied to other people? And for a lot of my life, I never was really intentional in trying to connect with people. I was so connected or trying to minister to so many people in church that I I didn't take that one little extra step to go, Hey, what's your name? And I sat next, when I was listening to the other speakers, uh, so this week we were out in Palm Desert and, and uh, we were out there and, and uh, I, I got asked to speak out there. And, and while we were out there, um, I, we sat next to a guy and, and after I spoke, he must have told me 20 times what a great job I did. You know, and after one time, you're kind of like embarrassed. Do you know what I mean? You kind of want to go, hey, that's, hey, great, thanks. Embarrassed. I mean, I like to hear it. And then I stopped. God just said, this is not about you, Phil. This is about him. He's saying it because he wants more than you to say thank you. And it it, it just, like, thick Dutch head, okay, I get it. Took me a minute to get it. And after a session, I, I said, hey, you know, I really appreciate you saying thank you. I said, tell me about you. What are you all about? And what's going on? And this guy just was like a fire hydrant. And I'm just, and I'm affirming him. I'm encouraging him. I go, that is amazing, amazing. And I realized I was not put there to bless him. By my talk, I was there for him to bless me and to teach me a really valuable lesson, that I needed to be present with people. People. And that teaches me how to be present in his presence. See how that works? Lester Summerall said, God will never give you a dream that you can accomplish on your own. I like that. Don't you like that? Do you like that? Put your hands together if you like that. That's a good quote. We'll give him credit. You know, he said it. I love it. I get to use it. God's faith in you enlarges your faith In God. Do you ever think that God has faith in you? We always think my faith in God. Did you know that God has faith in you? God believes in you. God created you. And even though you mess up, you have challenges, you have difficulties, sometimes you even turn your back on him, Do you know that he still has faith in you. He says nothing is ever going to separate you from me. You try to do something, I'm going to be there. What about when I'm, I'm faithless? Well, the Bible even gave us a verse on that. When we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The God in you does not deny who you are and, what, and ha- his love for you. I'm low on faith. God says, don't worry about it, i got plenty. Well, what about when I mess up? Oh, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, this is the book of Jude, last two verses, and to cause you to stand upright in that day. Our only God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who's responsible to keep you from stumbling? Him? You do the stumbling, but he's gonna keep you from it. He's gonna help you. And when you fall down, Proverbs says, A righteous man falls seven times but rises again, but the wicked falls in the day of adversity. See, the difference is not that we don't mess up. Anybody not messed up? Look at your neighbor, say you're messed up. Okay. Some of you enjoyed that too much. I, I I'm a little worried about that. All right. Let me take you through the parable a little bit further here. Okay, got it? Uh, Proverbs 25. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them, and then another with five talents, and then and likewise he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground, hid his Lord's money, and after a long time the Lord of those servants came back and he settled the accounts with them. Okay. So now we know the, kind of the gist of what's going on here. I think... I really want to go back to this. God wanted these guys to not be independent businessmen. God doesn't want you to be an independent Christian, functioning in the world, independent businessman. He wants you to learn from others and glean from others and be better for, for others so that everybody's happier. In the Jewish community, they have something called the Rule of the Seven. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. I've talked about it before. But in the Rule of the Seven is that um, that a dollar has to change hands seven times within the Jewish community before it can leave the Jewish community. And then the Jewish community is responsible to police those who get the dollar. So let's just suppose I, I go to a guy and I, I, I give him my dollar to fix my car. So he goes over to his other Jewish brother who gets haircuts, and he gets a haircut. And the haircut guy goes over to the doctor and he gives him the dollar. Well, once that thing kind of goes this cycle of seven, then it's okay to leave the community. But the idea is we're, gonna, we're responsible to help everyone build, their own, build wealth within our community. We don't want poor people in our community. We don't want people struggling in our community. We want the best craftsmen. So that very policing makes everybody work at a higher level. If we don't function with that, all we do is we go after the best deal and we don't care about our brothers. We don't care about community. So what happens in that community if something goes wrong? So let's say the guy goes, he, goes, gets, a, he gets a bad haircut. He's t- he tells Azar and he tells Elijah and he tells Isaiah and he tells all those guys, hey, i got a bad haircut. Well, we're going to go see him. Hey, we're going to go. You don't start giving better haircuts. So nobody's going to get a haircut from you anymore. I think I can make a better haircut. Why? Because accountability is built in to responsibility. That's really good if you listen to it. Accountability is built into responsibility. When I am responsible, I I become accountable. And then everybody gets to benefit from it. So faith demands this this challenge that we grow. Faith has always pushed us, grow, 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 grow. All of us, all of us can look back and go, it was the difficult times in life that made us better. Am I right? Okay, so I've used this story before, but I'm going to give it to you again. Miss Beck, I don't like her. I'll tell you why. All right? You say, you're a pastor. You should like everyone. No, I don't like everyone. Some people aren't nice. I love everyone, and I'll help them, but not everybody's likable. Am I wrong? Don't look at me like you're spiritual and you like everybody. You know what I'm talking about. Amen? Okay. So I'm in uh, eighth grade English class. Miss Beck gets up, and she reads a paper. She said, I'm going to read you a very creative story here, but it they didn't put their name on it, and whoever wrote it should really never, ever try to write because they're unskilled in English. So she reads the story, and it doesn't take me very long to figure out, it's my story. Now I don't even want to call out, yeah, that's mine. You know, you're sitting there like, I'm embarrassed. I'm going through this thing. She's telling me I can't write, you know, and so I get the paper, and and she kind of reaffirms it. She says, you know, like, here's your paperback, but, you know, you're just horrible in English, and, and that's okay. You're a creative person, but you should never try to write. Now you understand a little bit more why I don't like Miss Beck. Are you with me on this one? So what do I do? Remember, we need challenges to make us better. So the first book that I wrote, I said, this is for you, Miss Beck. Without Miss Beck, I don't know if I'd have written the first book. Then I wrote another book. This is for you, Miss Beck. I've written eleven books. Every one of them's for Miss Beck. It's okay. We remember that some of the toughest things in your life will prove to make you a better person. And then you have a story that you can share with someone else that guess what will make them a better person because right now your mind is finding the Miss Beck in your life. You go, I remember her. Her name wasn't Miss Beck, but I I don't like her either. But it makes you a better person. You will always move in in the direction of your dominant thought. Whatever you're thinking about, that dominant thought in your mind, if you think, I'm unhappy, I promise you, you will not have a smile on your face. I'm a failure. I promise you won't succeed. If you have I can't, I promise you, you won't. Because you will always move in the direction of your dominant thought. You have to change your thinking to move in the right direction of where you're going to be in life. And sometimes you have to be around people to do that. If you're around everyone who's bitter and negative, trust me, you get the bitterness tag. Because bitterness loves company, don't they? Have you ever known of anybody who was bitter and angry and hateful who wanted to be alone? No, they pick up the phone. Hey, I don't know if you know what so-and-so did to me, but, you know, and and they want to get you in your group. We're going to form a whole team of bitter people. The Bible says, beware lest a root of bitterness springs up in you and by it many are defiled. Because it never operates alone. Joy, you can operate in joy alone. You can't operate in bitterness alone. Ron Carpenter said, today's decisions are tomorrow's reality. Think about this. Let's just make it really simple. The things you will decide today will determine your reality tomorrow. So every day get up and say, I'm going to make one decision that's going to move me forward in my future and make it better or make somebody else's life better. You don't have to have a big plan. You don't have to have, you know, I I need a business plan on this one. This This is heavy. No, you don't one decision. What's the decision? I'm going to be kind. I'm going to smile. I'm going to help. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to pray. Just make one decision every day. Really simple. It doesn't have to be a complex decision. a simple decision. Right? This is so good and so practical. Here's here's another thought. Make your life extraordinary. By extraordinary, I don't mean you have to create the Tesla car and send rockets to outer space. I mean Make yourself extraordinary, your life extraordinary, where people look at you and go, wow, there's something in you that just really helped me and blessed me. I'm going to tell you, I look over the years of ministry, and I'll tell you the most extraordinary people were not the people that were the most successful or did anything big. They were people that operated in such a sense of the presence of God and the presence of people that you just, you just were drawn into them and you loved them, and they left an extraordinary life. Let me finish the parable here, Matthew 25. Then the Lord had received the one talent came, and he said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man. You see the problem? He started out with a mindset that the master was a hard man. He said, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. See, the real issue was he had a problem with the master from the beginning. This is a parable about the kingdom of heaven. It's about a, It's a parable that teaches us if you have a problem with God at the beginning, you're going to have a problem with God at the end. The train you get on, the tracks you travel will lead you to the destination of the tracks that you got yourself on. You have to get off that train. I want to get on a new set of tracks. I was reading, uh, a, a kind of did some more research about this because I'm, I'm interested in it. They did a research of 90-plus uh, year old people and they ask them what are your greatest regrets and the two top greatest regrets was number one i didn't tell the people around me i loved them enough you know what i say that what do you, What do you want to do Don't you want to turn to the person and say i love you it's okay to do that right now by the way i love you tammy i love you church right doesn't it feel better to be loved that was the number one. Number two, this is interesting, they didn't take enough risks. They played life too safe. Those are the two regrets. You're not going to look back on life and go, you know, I'm so glad I played it safe and didn't do anything. Man, I just feel so good. And get the grandkids around you and you say, what did you do, Grandpa? Nothing. I want to encourage you to do the same You know, if you just grow up to be a bunch of nothings and do nothing, it's going to be so great because we can all be nothing together. Right? Take a risk. What if I lose? Like you haven't lost before? Hello? I don't know anybody who hasn't lost. I don't know anybody who hasn't messed up, hasn't failed. Do you? Those people should really not come here because they will make us all uncomfortable. You have to overcome bitterness and fear. Don't be like the guy that had the one talent. He probably got one talent because he had an attitude the whole time and he thought he probably the master probably thought if I get him in the group with these people that are positive, work hard and have an idea that maybe he will change and he didn't change. He actually got worse. Nobody stays where they are in their attitude. They either get worse they get better. Expect the unexpected. Wake up every morning and go, I don't know what you're doing, God, but I expect you to do something cool. And then now guess what? Now you're looking for cool stuff. You're looking for cool stuff. Look how this uh, another scripture in this in this parable. It says Matthew twenty-five, twenty-nine, for to everyone who has, more will be given, and he uh, and and he will have in abundance. So he says, now what does he do in the story? If you know the story. The guy who only had the one, he takes it from the one guy and he gives it to the guy who has 10. You know what that is? Not fair. We need to be fair. Let's go ahead and just take the 16, divide it up among the three. No, that's not good. That's not a kingdom principle. Well, let's take the one and kind of help out the guy that had two. It's not a kingdom principle kingdom principle is, the more you have, the more he gives you because you are being more responsible with it. This is not socialism. This is not communism. This is not even capitalism. This is Bible. This is the kingdom of heaven it is like this. Amen? This is what it's like. I don't like it. Too bad. I didn't write the book. I didn't cook the meal. I'm just serving. Amen. One more quote from uh, Lester. Champions are a rare breed. I love to read quotes and slow down and not get in a hurry to finish them. Champions are a rare breed. And I I just stopped and I go, I want to be a rare breed. I want to be a champion. I want to be a champion. I want to be a champion. Oh, they see beyond the dangers. Oh, so they don't avoid danger, no, they see beyond the risk, they see beyond the obstacle, they see beyond the hardship. That's what it takes to be a champion. When you fail, get up. Just say, I'm getting up. I'm getting up. Come on, some of you still down. I'm getting up. Why not? You can't have a comeback unless unless you've had a setback. I need a comeback. Well, have it. Enjoy your setback. I'm coming back. I'm getting up. I'm moving forward. I'm going on. And guess what? I can't do it alone. I need you. We need one another. We need proximity. We need community. You know, the Bible says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. That means when the world's, when you get closer to the end of the age, you're going to need each other more than you did before. Guess what? Every day we live, we're getting closer to the return of Christ. That means we need each other more than we did a year ago. In case you haven't noticed, the world is not exactly turning into utopia. Have you noticed or not? Right? So you know what that says? Get closer to to people you're close to, next to, in community with, and don't don't fall away from that. And guess what? And you get to invite other people. You know, the study says that 80% of the people who are invited by a close friend to church will come. They'll come at least one time if you just invite them. But here's another statistic. About 100%, 100% of the people you don't ask won't come. Ask them. Ask them. If you're blessed and you've got something from this, ask them. If you weren't blessed and did get anything from it, then I don't know what to say to you. I love you. Give me another shot next week. Amen hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing. And and I want you just to kind of enjoy this this time of worship um, when we just take what we've heard and we let it just kind of sink in, you know? You know, when they cook a great steak, they set it aside and they let it meld. Is that the right word? And it kind of cooks on the inside. And I want a steak tonight, baby cooks on the inside. Here's what I want you to do. I want this message to meld a little bit on the inside. Let it cook on the inside a little bit. Now, what did he say and what's, what's the application and how can I walk in this and how can I be better and how, how, how? And and they just and so as we sing, let that have its effect. Now, here's a second assignment I have for you. In the first service, we sang at the end. And wh- what's the song we're singing? It's Hallelujah, a- what a Savior. And people were singing like this. Hallelujah, what a savior. (laughs) They were, I know. I know. They won't go to hell, don't worry, it's okay. And I got up and I said, Okay, I want to change the scene for you. Okay, I want the scene to be you're in heaven, Jesus is on his throne. There's angels singing. There's, there's a great throng of witnesses from all of history. There's Adam and Noah and Elijah and Isaiah and Matthew and Luke and, and all these guys, and they're singing their guts out, and there's seraphim flying with these six wings, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And there's just like this heavenly scene, and you're in the middle of it, and you want to go like, hallelujah, what a Savior. But you can't because you're in proximity. Yeah. Sing this out. When you sing loud and mean it, guess what? The guy next to you goes, I'm going for it. It's like ultimate karaoke. I'm going for it. Amen. Alright, so what are you gonna do? You're gonna sing out? How many of you say, I, I think I can do that? I think I can do Alright, let's sing with all of our heart now. Sing unto the Lord, the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. Our God reigns Part of the worship team and that's saying a lot for a dude who can't sing amen all right hey guys here's what you need to do when you're going out go by the prayer wall pray for just you you can pull a name out and pray over it or you can just walk by put your hand out and go I'm praying God for this point of faith here this touch point of faith God just answer prayers bring healing bring joy bring power and then God put on my heart someone I can bring next week amen